Hi, I'm Alex Jump, and this is Focus on Health, a podcast dedicated to discussing and bringing to light topics surrounding health, wellness, and workplace culture in the food and beverage industry. Through these conversations, I hope to explore the unique challenges that hospitality workers face, from workplace relationships and work-life balance, to guest interactions and everything in between. This week, my guest is Hassel Avelas. Born and raised in Toronto, she spent over 20 years working in multiple facets of the food and beverage industry. In 2018, she co-founded Not 9 to 5, a nonprofit organization empowering hospitality, food and beverage service workers by mobilizing education and support for mental health and substance abuse. All right, I'll turn on my little radio voice. Hi everyone, I'm Alex Jump and this is Focus on Health. Today I'm joined by Toronto native with over 20 years of experience in marketing and leadership in the food and beverage industry, Hassel Avilas. Hi. Hi Alex, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so happy to have you. Um, You know, we've worked together a handful of times throughout the last year or so and I've really only gotten to know you over the last year and I don't know you know, if people listening know who you are. So I'd love for you to just take a second to tell everyone who you are, what you do, um, what makes you so awesome, because you are so awesome. And we'll, I guess we'll go from there. (laughs) Oh, you're awesome. I so appreciate that. And I've loved getting to know you and LP um, and getting to know what Focus on Health is all about as well. It's so nice when that happens and you meet other people that, you know, you realize are like your teammates, but you didn't even know they existed before. It is genuinely one of my favorite things about our industry and our community. You know, I mean, obviously that we focus on some heavy topics in this podcast and at FOH in general, and as people are going to learn as well with not nine to five, what you do, but there are so many beautiful things about our industry. And one of them is just the connections you get to make with other amazing people who share your passion. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and shout out to Laura Green of Healthy Poor who introduced us. Yes. We love Laura Louise Green. We love her. Love her. And um, I'm just so, I'm thrilled to be here. So a little bit about myself, anyone that doesn't know much about me, my name is Hasela Villas and I'm um, born and raised and in Toronto, still currently, Ontario in Canada. Um, I am the executive director of Not 9 to 5, which is a nonprofit organization uh, that empowers hospitality, food and beverage service workers with mental health and substance use support skills um, and and connects to resources. I grew up in the industry since I was 17 years old. I started in every front of house position you can think of, all the way up into owning my own restaurant. I also launched a food event business called the Toronto Underground Market, which if you don't know, was influenced actually by the San Francisco Underground Market, which became a kind of informal incubator for emerging food and beverage brands. Ran that for three years. And since then I've really focused on other event production as well as marketing and um, business consulting in our industry. And I'm also currently now a principal consultant at Reunion, which is part of the Ovari group. Um, Everything I do is across North America. So I'm not just focused on Canada and all of the work I do. Um, All of the work I currently do is across the Canada and the US. And so I I mentioned that because I think oftentimes, especially when we talk about hospitality, um, we are such a global community. And I, and I think with uh, Not 9 to 5 as well, focusing on mental health and substance use challenges, that is also a global conversation. So anywhere you know you find humans, you will find these challenges. And, and, it's, and particularly, um, unfortunately, in the hospitality industry, it's, it, we have very, very high rates. So these days, that's how I interact with the industry. Um, I'm still very much involved in, you know, events, but obviously now they're mostly virtual because of <laughs> the pandemic. Um, but yeah, that's, that's me. Amazing. Well, let's just dive right in. I'd love to know what led you to hospitality and then maybe even, and we can dive into this even deeper, like what, what led you to not nine to five? Um, how did you get to, to finding that to be something that 
we needed in our industry? Oh, I love that question. Um, so first of all, I have always loved anything culinary. So any kind of culinary experience has been something that I've been very passionate about since I was a baby. My mom always tells really funny stories about how I would cry when my food was over. <laughs> Um, no. I'm just, <laughs> even I still as a baby. do that today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Me too. <laughs> what do you mean? There's, there's not more. Um, and, and now as an adult, obviously that's carried into beverages. And so, you know, it's not just, you know, any kind of beverage, not alcoholic, non-alcoholic, um, and any kind of culinary experience. I'm very, very passionate about that and always have been and always will be. So that is at the core of my, of my passion. What led me to hospitality was that, was it was getting me closer to culinary experiences. And when I first started though, I came in blind. I didn't really know what I was signing up for in terms of working in hospitality and food service. I just knew that I loved the fast pace. I knew that I loved talking to people. I knew that I loved, like I said, food and beverage products and the whole experience of it. And quickly, you know, in the first couple of years, I started to realize that there were some things that were very particular to our industry. Um, and especially uh, about year five, so I was in my early 20s by then, I, I started to dabble into other industries and like more office work environments mm -hmm. and realizing the difference between yeah. like, oh, that work, my job at this work environment versus my hospitality job in this other work environment and, and the massive, massive differences, the stark differences between the two. Um, and that carried on for years and years and still does. Like still to this day, for example, I'm a, I'm a principal consultant in this management consultant firm. And I see the huge differences between that job, you know, and my, and, and the way I interact with the industry uh, through not nine to five. So what led me to not nine to five was that for, I want to say close to 10 to 15 years, I lived with depression and anxiety um, while suffering in silence. And I had a lot of shame and stigma around that. I hit many rock bottoms, um, you know, all the way until, unfortunately, even having, you know, suicidal ideation. Um, and all of these experiences that I had, I never felt like I could share them um, in a really supportive way while I worked in hospitality. And it just felt like the elephant in every room because it wasn't just me. I was also seeing a lot of people around me struggling with not just their mental health, but also substance use. And again, no discussion or conversation or support or resources around these topics. And so eventually in late 2017, um, RL Copeland, who is another founder of Not 9 to 5, he hosted this panel in his restaurant and I was on the panel. Um, and that, that night was such an important event because it was the start of opening myself up to talking about these things publicly with strangers. So not just, you know, in the first couple of years that I talked about my mental health experiences, it was only close friends and close colleagues. But then that was the first time I got into a room and just talked to a room full of strangers about it. Um, and after that, you know, I made it my mission to continue that conversation. And in early 2018, we launched Not 9 to 5 as an initiative for the community. And it was an Instagram account and it became a website. And then, you know, throughout uh, the last couple of years, we eventually incorporated into a nonprofit organization. Um, awesome. Yeah, thank you. I was going to say the one last thing. I see my work with Not 9 to 5 as a love letter to my 20 year old self um, and, and as a way to share the things and talk about the to you know, topics that I wish I'd had around me at that time when I was struggling the most. Looking to reclaim some of the restorative time that you lost during the past few months? Be sure to check out the pre-shift meditation series brought to you by Beam Centauri's Bourbon Time. It takes place on the last Monday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, now through September. Absolutely. And I think that so many people in our industry um, benefit from hearing, you know, leaders talk about these things. That's one of the 
things that drove me to, you know, start FOH was the same thing. Like I find so much like not comfort may not be the right word, but just like being able to share my story and know that other people are going through that. And maybe all they need to hear is that somebody else is going through that. Um, somebody like them. Um, and on top of that, you know, I think that our industry and, 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 and pr- plenty of industries, I think in the world, like, but in F and B, you know, we idolize people that, um, work for, you know, certain companies or certain bars or have won certain awards or won certain bartending competitions. And, and, you know, it's almost like the celebrity status where like we, you know, and social media obviously makes us like just a total disaster, but, you know, like letting life seem like it's just perfect. And that's not the case. And so I think being able to be a part of sharing our stories and showing people that like we all are the same and we all struggle and that that's okay. Um, And that just opening up the conversation can do so much good um, for everyone. Agreed. Yeah. But, um, you know, so you said that not nine to five, you know, y'all basically founded it early 2018. So that's three years ago. In a large part, y'all were pretty much completely ahead of the game when it comes to talking about health and wellness um, and the well-being of people that work in F&B. So how does it feel to see other people catching up like us at FOH and you know, even, even businesses that are starting to implement changes um, for their employees? Like, how does it feel to see our industry starting to come around to these ideas? And what do you feel like still needs to be done now that we're starting the conversation? Obviously there's like so much, I'm like, this could be like a five hour conversation, (laughs) but (laughs) it's okay. I'll give you my two minute answer. Um, (laughs) I, I love, um, I love that question though, Alex, because it's really important to recognize that this is just the beginning you know, and that there's so much more to do and to unearth and to focus on, you know, to keep going. And and anytime that you start anything in the beginning, you have to acknowledge that you're going to make mistakes, that there's going to be so much you don't know, that, um, that there's so many ways to do this. And, mm-hmm. and I love that there's more organizations now. I love that FOH exists. I love that we have so many other friends across the globe now. It's not even just in North America, building partnerships with organizations in the UK and beyond. And so, you know, like I said earlier, this is a human issue. So anywhere there are humans, you know, that you're going to have these topics show up and, how does it feel? I mean, I'm not going to lie. The first two years up until the pandemic really felt like I was at times screaming into the abyss. Mm -hmm. Um, It really felt like we were going against the grain, swimming upstream, (laughs) you know, trying to, to get people to care about and talk about topics that most people just were not ready or prepared to address yet. And so I'm really glad I had that time though, because it really helped me craft and, and really um, streamline what I wanted to say. So that what was so beautiful about that now looking back was that by the time the pandemic hit, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and say in a time of yeah. crisis. And I was so overprepared um, obviously no one's prepared for pandemic, but I was so overprepared to talk about mental health and substance use that it, it, in, in the hospitality industry, that it wasn't a first for me last year, you know, and, and also 2020, what, you know, it, we're still going to feel the ripple effects of that global trauma and collective grief that we're in for many years to come. Um, but for me, myself, just as a person, it wasn't my first crisis. Um, I've had many crises in my life through either losing people through grief, uh, or just suicide. Um, you know, I've lost people in many different ways that were very traumatic. I also have a lot of trauma in my life. And so, and the hospitality was a huge part of that trauma, unfortunately. Um, and, and so I felt that 2020 is going to go is for me is always going to go down as such a um, juxtaposition of emotions and feelings because 
for what I realized very quickly in the first couple of weeks of the pandemic was that this was gonna go on for years. Um, it didn't take me long to realize that this was gonna go on for years. Uh, just because when you start reading about natural disasters and other past pandemics and plagues and things that have existed, um, none of them to this scale ever were quick and done. So immediately we moved into, you know, how to create industry specific resources and how to start, you know, bringing people together online um, because it was one of the only ways that we could communicate messages out and knowing that we weren't going to be in person. And I also very quickly put together, unfortunately, and it was, it was a very, very traumatic time those first couple of weeks and months. Once I yeah. put those pieces together, it was like putting together a puzzle and looking at the puzzle and being horrified by what you were seeing. It was a recipe for disaster when you have uh, isolation and hospitality workers that are used to go, 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 finally stopping um, you know, and being alone at home and, and knowing that isolation is the uh, enemy to mental health and addiction and knowing that forcing people to stop is traumatic when you're used to constantly being busy. Um, and so it was, um, it's been, it's been really wonderful though. At the same time, it's so weird to feel things that are awful and amazing at the same time. But it was, it has been really incredible to see the topic of mental health and substance use and hospitality get so much attention since the pandemic started. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And one thing that you just kind of bordered on the edge of and that you and I had kicked back and forth as a topic to discuss on this, on this podcast. And so I think this might be a great time to bring it up is mental health and crisis and supporting people through those things. You know, you just mentioned that this isn't your first time um, going through a, a crisis that, you know, maybe a mental health crisis. And this is a really important topic. We don't really get any kind of mental health or crisis training um, for, for our work or, for, or just even for like life experiences. That's certainly not anything that you get um, that you get in school, um, you know, high school or college, unless it's like specific to your degree, which literally in my brain right now, I'm like realizing how totally fucked up that is. Um, but on top Agreed. of that, we, like, wow, totally like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we work in a, a really emotional industry and we add fuel to the fire because we're dealing with substances. Um, what advice can you give to people listening who they might themselves be going through something that they need help with either personally or with a friend or a coworker or a family member? Okay. So I love your question. I think that too often we don't ask this question and we don't prepare. Oftentimes mm -hmm. in the hospitality industry, we are very reactive and not very proactive. And why I say that is because for example, for physical safety, we have a first aid kit in our kitchens if someone cuts themselves or at the bar if someone cuts themselves and, and needs you know, some first aid. Unfortunately, we very often do not have the same when it comes to mental health. And right. I, was very, I was very lucky to, um, in January of 2020, before the pandemic, I took mental health first aid. And for anyone who doesn't know that, I highly encourage you to Google it. MHFA Mental Health First Aid is a wonderful um, program that you can take and where you get very um, immersed in all of the topics to do with mental health uh, and in terms of crisis and how to support someone through it. Now, having done that course, I, I very quickly realized that in our industry, we don't necessarily need all of that education and training. Um, the other, you know, kind of hesitation I had with the program was it was very expensive and it took really long to do. Um, and so we had already started down the path of like, how can we create something like this that's more like real talk language and focused on the primary concerns of the hospitality industry? Because we'd already been doing surveys and research for two years, kind of capturing all the data around what are the primary concerns? Like what are the main challenges that we see in this industry. And so by the time the pandemic hit, we knew that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to focus on getting the funding to build a course like this out and being able to share it with our industry. 
I'm really happy to say that we were able to do that. Um, it was out late last year for free and we're currently revising and we'll be launching a new kind of an improved version of that course later this year. Um, and it's meant to really focus on exactly this question that you ask Alex is like, what do I do in those moments and how can I support someone? Um, so the first thing I would say is you really need to prioritize active listening. Um, you really need to develop those skills. You really need to understand what active listening is. And ultimately, in one sentence, active listening is listening to understand, not to respond. Um, so oftentimes, people listening, are, when someone's speaking, are thinking of what they want to say next or are thinking of other things in their own lives. That's not actively listening. Um, the other big differentiator is listening with your mind and your body. So you're looking at the person, you're facing the person, you're not on your phone, your hands are at your side. Um, you're not distracted by something of some other action that you're doing, but you're actually really focused on what that person is saying and trying to understand what they're saying. Again, that does not mean you have to agree with what they're saying. That does not mean that you have to share your opinions about what they're saying. It really is just about understanding what that person is sharing. So I would say that's the first thing that is the most important to understand. The second really important thing to understand when trying to help, and you know, this is trying to help anyone through, um, is that you're not here to fix a problem. You're not here to find solutions. You're not a counselor. I mean, maybe you are. Some people are licensed professional counselors out there, <laughs> like Laura Green we're talking about. But most likely, if you're working in a bar or restaurant or a cafe or any other hospitality environment, you're not a counselor. And that's not your job in your workplace to provide that for your team or your colleagues. Um, so what that means is like in the same way, Alex, if you and I were working in a kitchen and I sliced my hand open, um, I would not want you to be stitching me up or if I broke my elbow, I would not want you to be casting me up. I would right. want you to help support me to get me to the help I need. And so for mental health, it's the same thing. You have to understand that you're not the one that's there to do the quote unquote, um, you know, cure or help or, or, or fix or treatment. You're not the treatment. You're not the recovery path. You're just someone to support the person to get to them to the help that they need. Um, and so that's the biggest thing to understand is that, you know, it's okay that you don't know how to talk about these things or don't want to talk about these things, especially as an employer. Um, it's actually, you know, not your place to be asking people for why these things are happening. It's your responsibility is just to support the person during that time um, and, and get them and accommodate them and get them to, you know, a place where they're getting the help that they seek and need. Um, and so oftentimes that's more questions than, than answers. That's more, uh, that's more probing questions and getting curious than offering solutions in any way. Um, right. so those are the two, those are the two main things that I wanted to highlight, um, in terms of supporting someone else. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I don't know if I've ever, like, I mean, I feel like oftentimes I, I, or we hear, you know, the whole, like, you're just here to listen, but being able to put it in the perspective of like comparing a mental health crisis to a physical health crisis is like so helpful for me. Like, because yeah, it's like, if somebody cuts their hand, like they're not looking for you to fix it. They're like, maybe you might be providing a solution in that you can help them get to the doctor's office, but like, that's really the extent of the solution that you can provide. Um, but you're Absolutely. there to, to support them. Right. So it's like the same thing with mental health. It's like, okay, if somebody is struggling with addiction, for instance, you're not there to solve their addiction and, you know, like be their AA, you are there to help them get to where they need to go. Absolutely. And, and a big part of that is asking those important questions. So in the same way, if I broke my elbow, I'd be like, um, oh, or sorry, if you broke your elbow, for example, and I'm here to support you, I would be asking you, Alex, is there someone I can call, you know, that you want to be there to support you? Is there, am I okay? And asking for consent around these things is also something that people often miss is you cannot just walk into someone's life and day and space and start 
getting into very large, you know, questions about their mental health challenges um, or their substance use or their addiction um, struggles. This is something you need consent on. So asking someone like, hey, is this a good time for me to ask you a few things about whatever the topic is? Um, and right. if not, can we book time, you know, on another day and another time and, and really getting their consent on that? In the same way, if you, you know, broke your elbow, I'd be like, Alex, can I help you? Like, can I make a call? Can I call an ambulance for you? Can I call, or who else can I call for you? How can I support you? And really getting that consent from you is important for me to help you through any kind of crisis you're having. Um, because you might actually feel like I'm not the right person to support you through that. You know, maybe there's someone else that's better suited. Maybe it's another colleague that you feel more comfortable with. Um, and that's especially important if you're talking about like an anxiety attack, for example, or a panic attack in the workplace. These things happen quite regularly, um, often not discussed, but they do happen quite regularly, especially in our industry where we're so fast paced and high pressure and high stress. Um, and so sometimes there is a better person to be supporting you during that that isn't me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, and then it's important as the, as the person that's trying to provide support to understand that it's not, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you, right? Like it's not a reflection of who you are, the support you may be able to provide, right? It's, it's genuinely really not about you at all, because it's about the person that you are hoping to. Oh, yeah. Alex, thank you for saying that. That is one of the most important things that I think a lot of us don't think enough about. Um, if you study a lot of sociology and social behavior, um, there's a lot of research that, that talks about this, that, you know, so much of what people say and do has absolutely nothing to do with you, even when it's directed at you. Right. I mean, you're, I mean, we're, I'm like preaching to the choir over here. Literally, if like somebody blinks at me the wrong way, I'm like, they hate me. Like <laughs> I, <laughs> I have done certainly everything possibly wrong in the entire world that I could have done. I'm the world's worst person that, you know, like literally, and it's like, I, it, this year has been like a huge focus for me to shift that from like internalizing it and, and like thinking about it in a me way and rather remembering that every single person in the world is living a life. Um, oh, Alex, that, thank you, you for know. sharing that. I so appreciate you sharing that. That's so real. And that's so true. I mean, so many of us, especially those of us that grew up in this industry, you know, that grew up in a lot of work environments that were so oppressive and so overcritical. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of praise or appreciation or gratitude shown. Um, so many of us, like that resonates really deep with me. That idea, yeah. like I still to this day sometimes have to unlearn a lot of the things that I, that were drilled into my head as a server and as a bartender. Um, and even as an event, you know, producer in, in the events industry, and especially if you work with culinary experiences all the time, it's very similar as, as any kind of other food service. Um, and I remember constantly, anytime someone would say like, hey, can I talk to you? The first like, thing- Oh I my ever, God. Right? The first thing that goes through your mind is like, I'm fired. <laughs> right. I still do this. I still do this. Um, and I've, you know- been working for the most supportive people. Like I know our owners are so supportive. My general manager is so supportive and open. We have like, we have meeting cadence and structure. Like there's, you know, the, there is an organization to the way the business operates. And literally two weeks ago, our general manager was like, Hey, this was probably on Saturday night. He was like, Hey, this coming Thursday, can we go get breakfast? I want to talk to you about a couple of things. And like, I went home and I was like a disaster. I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get fired. Um, the, you know, whatever X, Y, and Z. And then I, I have literally have to like, a talk to my partner about it. And then on top of the fear that I am going to get fired, I'm also worried that my partner thinks that I'm being annoying for being afraid that I'm going to get fired. So it's like this whole mental maze yep. of me like yeah. thinking I'm going to get fired with no evidence. And then also assuming that my partner thinks I'm annoying for caring or being concerned about it also with no evidence. And so, yeah, it's like this whole thing. And then it's like, you know, that's not how it would go because I don't work for people that do that way, that do it that way anymore, you know? So Yes. Like the whole un unlearning, 
ways that you've been conditioned and trained. Um, it's fucking tough. It's so it, hard. Oh, it's so fucking tough. It's so hard. It also, just for anyone listening who might also feel like this resonates for them, it also takes so long. So it's really, really important to remember that, you know, you're unlearning my unlearning. Like I've been at this for years. This is not new for me. I've been in therapy for years. I've been working on unlearning a lot of the toxic, you know, um, influences from the hospitality industry for years. And I still catch myself, you know, knee jerking, defaulting to some of these things. Um, the good thing is that now I I'm, there's a lot more space between me and an experience, you know, back yeah. in the day, if I was experiencing something, I took it as gospel. I took it as like, this is fact. And then obviously now I, many years later and decades of therapy and, and meditation and so many other things that I do for my recovery and my health, um, and are part of my treatment. I now understand that what I feel is not always a fact, right. And that not all thoughts are real. And so I now really have worked on creating space between me and any experience I have so that who I am and what I experience are two very different things. And so, although I may be experiencing this anxiety around, oh my God, I'm fired <laughs> or like everyone hates me or I fucked up on some way, or, you know, this person doesn't you know want to talk to me anymore. All of these thoughts that I may be having, all these feelings I may be having, they're valid. They're very valid, but they're not always based on facts. Boy, these sentences like literally have tears in my eyes. I'm like trying not to get emotional, but it's so true. Like, so yeah. one of my last in-person therapy appointments, which was about a year or so ago at this point, a little over a year ago, I had a conversation about this stuff with my therapist. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's obviously, it's a something that we talk about a lot, but in this particular appointment, at the end of it, she had me pull one of my business cards out of my wallet and she wrote on it, what do I know to be true? And she had me keep it in my wallet and pull it out anytime that I was feeling that way. Because, you know, it's like, what do I know absolutely to be facts? What do I know to be true? The rest, I don't know to be true. And like you said, they are just thoughts. Um, they may not be rooted in any reality at all other than my brain. Um, so that, yeah. Wow. That just gave me that. goosebumps that thank yeah. you for sharing that. That's like, that, that's the kind of stuff that people underestimate its power, right? Having something on hand that you can pull out. Also, that's really grounding. If you're having some anxiety too, like having something to hold in your hands and then also having like either affirmations or sentences or facts to read to yourself. Like, what do I know to be true and reading through them? I think that, you know, that, it, it sounds like such a little thing, but that has real massive impact. Yeah, no, it really does. Um, and it, and it, um, it was a great tool for me over the last year to have that in my wallet. So, and like the power of it being written, like on my business card that I, you know, earned from my, you know, a position that I deserve. And, you know, so there's this like multi-layered, like I'm holding something that sometimes my brain tries to tell me that I don't deserve oh. my job, you know, so I can like hold this thing and say, I do deserve it. I have earned it. And like, also what, what do I know to be true? So Alex, that is gold. You just reminded yeah. me of something else um, that I'll share before. I'm sure we move to another question, but I just want to share this quickly because you shared something so powerful that helps you. Um, for years, I've struggled with imposter syndrome. And if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's, it's when you kind of think of yourself as like an imposter, even though you're so overqualified for certain positions, you still doubt your own capabilities. Um, and so one hack that I would do to sometimes help me is I would read my own bio to myself out loud. I love that. And it would remind me like, oh yeah, I've done a lot in my career <laughs> and like, I am a badass and I get shit done. And like, it would remind me because I would forget about very basic facts of projects I've led, things that I've done, companies I've owned, panels I've been on, you know, and I was like, or I'd sometimes I'll review my own LinkedIn page to be like, remember, don't forget, remember 
you are so beyond overqualified for the positions that you hold. Um, and I do it with my mental health too. So a lot of times I would underestimate how valuable my lived experience was. And I would always think, be like, and this happens with my therapists often is I'll, I'll lean on them for things, but they always like the good therapists that I've had in my life have always reminded me that my decades of lived experience with depression and anxiety, you know, and, and struggling with suicidal ideation or substance use challenges, like all of these are, are, are massive, 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 you know, foundation for understanding my own mental health and that I am an expert of my own mental health. I'm not a mental health expert, but I'm an expert of my own mental health experience and, and kind of validating and remembering that like what I feel and think, you know, my own intuition is much more valuable than, than I thought for most of my life. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, all right. This kind of like rounds us up into our, our last topic. And now that I've started recording these podcasts on zoom, I like, I keep forgetting to set a timer. So I'm like, I have no <laughs> clue really kind of where we are at, at time, but I think we're in a good place to kind of dive into this last pretty big topic, um, that we'll kind of wrap it up with. So when when I started pitching Focus on Health, the topic that I focused on a, a lot, especially while competing in Most Imaginative Bartender, was the topic of the death that we've seen in our industry. And I, you know, for everyone listening, like I recognize that this is a, a dark topic. Um, and by no means do I try to make it a light at all because it's not. Um, but we've seen so many beloved professionals in our industry pass away before, you know, long before their time. Um, and while we're not, you know, we're not able to look deeply into their lives um, in a deep personal way to be able to pinpoint, you know, what, what the cause of whoever's death was, we can, you know, we can look at our industry as a whole and, and recognize that there is a massive lack of work-life balance there's a lack of, of healthcare and mental health resources and any kind of resources for substance abuse. And those are, those are recipes for disaster. Just those three things alone, you know, like add on the fact that we do a ton of emotional labor in our industry um, and physical labor. It's a physically demanding job. And the thing that I was tired of hearing over and over again is we didn't know that they were suffering. That's, you know, it, to me, I'm just, I want to see our industry stop saying that um, because th there's no excuse to not know anymore. So I guess the question is like, how do we keep pushing these changes forward that can better support our industry? Um, how do we change the way that restaurants and bars are structured in order to ensure that owners are better, better prepared to support their staff? Um, you know, how do we break it down in a way that's like digestible um, and, and manageable? Because it always, for me, feels like this gigantic, like unsurmountable mountain um, to climb. Yep, I couldn't agree more. And I think this is such an excellent question. There are always signs that people show of emotional suffering um, before suicide. There are always signs of mental health challenges if you're paying attention. Um, and I think the main, and this is not to fault anyone if, if you know, I, I've lost people to suicide that were very close to me. And so even when you do know the signs and even when you do know that someone's struggling, um, obviously we cannot control what people do, um, but it is still an important thing to be aware of and to understand because you can, show, you know, um, you can show support for people and you can do more for someone once you identify that that person is struggling um, or suffering. I wanna go through um, a really great tool. Um, I, I didn't create it by any means. It, I got it from a very wonderful organization called Change Direction. If you want their website, it's changedirection.org. Um, and they have created this amazing tool called recognizing the five signs of emotional suffering. And I'm just going to run through really quickly these five points. 
um, because I think it's really easy way to recognize um, in someone when they're suffering or struggling with their mental health or substance use or addiction um, and when you're starting to teeter on the edge. Um, so the first one is personality change. You will notice that someone you know, typically behaves in a certain way, but when you start to see their personality change, um, that is something that you need to maybe explore as to where that's coming from. Um, a perfect example would be someone who's traditionally, normally, usually very outspoken, very outgoing. All of a sudden, in the last couple of weeks, you've noticed them get real quiet, um, pull back, you know, uh, or, or just like not be their, their usual self. Um, the second one is agitated. So when you start to see, you know, people that are often angry, anxious, agitated, or moody, um, especially if they're uncharacteristically this way, that is something to notice and to, again, keep an eye on. Um, when someone has a hard time controlling their temper uh, or they seem irritable or unable to calm down on a regular basis, um, when you see people in more extreme situations, you'll see that they're unable to sleep um, and they may even explode in anger uh, at something very minor. That's number two. Number three is withdrawn. When you start to see people withdraw or isolate themselves from others in a very significant way. So obviously, listen, sometimes people want their own space and time. That's absolutely acceptable and understandable. When you start to see it happen much more than you know usual, someone who maybe used to be socially engaged but starts to pull away and stops taking part in activities that they used to enjoy, um, that's something to really pay attention to. In more severe cases, someone may even start um, failing to even show up at work um, on a regular basis or show up to responsible, you know, responsibilities they have or commitments they've made. Number four is poor self-care. Um, obviously, that's such a vague term and that can be interpreted in so many different ways. But something to really look out for is someone who isn't taking care of themselves and possibly engaging in risky behavior, very high risk behavior. You see this a lot with substance use and addiction. Um, so for instance, even like small, not small things, sorry, but something like personal hygiene is something to pay attention to if you see that deteriorate, um, or someone that maybe didn't used to really, um, you like use substances very often, but all of a sudden there's an increase in use of alcohol or other substances, um, and also self-destructive behavior. So if you see someone that, you know, traditionally doesn't behave this way, but all of a sudden is engaging in a lot of these activities, that's when you want to get curious um, and start asking some questions. The last one is hopelessness. So when you hear someone say things like they just don't care anymore about anyone or anything, what's the point, like for what, you know, like just really kind of quote unquote doom and gloom, um, expressions that is a, a, a usually indicative of someone who's having um, some internal struggles with their mental health. People in this situation sometimes say things like the world would be better off without them, or they may even suggest or talk about suicide. Um, and the last thing I want to touch on when it comes to suicide is that there's a really big misconception that if you talk about suicide, that you're going to increase the likelihood of the action. That right. is absolutely not true. There is so much research um, and studies that show that it's actually the complete opposite. If you can, if you find yourself in a position where you feel comfortable with that person to bring this up, you are doing them a favor because what you're showing them is that I care enough about you to ask you about this. Right. And I'm actually taking the time to ask you directly, have you thought about harming yourself? Are you, have you had any suicidal thoughts? Have you had any struggles with thinking about suicide? Like, well, however you want to word it, everyone speaks differently. I highly encourage you to word these things in your own way. Um, I wouldn't suggest that you bring a script or anything like that. It really, the more genuine and authentic you can show up for the person, the higher likelihood that they're going to really, um, feel comfortable sharing with you. And, and so what happens often is when people are asked directly about suicide or their own, you know, emotional suffering is you're subconsciously showing that person that you care 
and that they're important to you. Even if you don't say those words, you're, right. you're, you're, you're showing them that with your actions of, you know, asking them these questions. And so, you know, there's, there's no way, like I said earlier, to control or manage how someone else behaves or acts, but there are definitely things that you can look out for and do um, if you have, you know, feelings of concern. And, and the last thing I'll say on this topic is that if you have feelings of concern, you're probably right. So there's no harm in asking someone, you know, hey, are you doing all right? Or like, what's going on? Or, you know, I was, I'm, I'm, you know, even just expressing your concern, like, hey, I'm just a little bit concerned, you know, because I noticed X, Y, Z, whatever you notice. Um, because but oftentimes we're so scared to say the wrong thing or to make someone uncomfortable or for ourselves to even feel uncomfortable. But what I really want us to remember is that it's worse to not say anything at all. Um, there's more harm caused and more damage that can be done by not addressing something than there could possibly be by trying and maybe saying it in the wrong way. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I did have the opportunity to take a, a, a suicide prevention course a year and a half ago here in Denver. And that, you know, is the one thing that certainly stuck with me is, um, that fact that it is, you know, it is not harmful to ask, um, at all. Similar, no. similar, similarly to people struggling with addiction. Um, it's not harmful to ask, you know, no, not at all. And actually, um, it will probably mean a lot to that person that's struggling, that someone's taking the time out of their day to get curious about how they're feeling. Um, this tool that I just ran through and many other tools um, are available for free to download um, from a link that's, um, it's on our website. If you click for the primary concerns course, it takes you to the page where all the tools are available for free to download as PDFs. Um, and I'm happy you know, to share that with you, Alex, and, and anyone listening that I think there's about 15 tools available and the idea with sharing these tools is that like anyone can use them, right? And, and that you can just keep them on hand for any time, you know, that you're in a situation or, or even share them. Like I've had even managers tell me that they email them to their staff um, so that everyone has them on, on hand. And listen, these are only 15 tools, but there's many others out there. And in the same way I said earlier, like we have first aid kits in our kitchens. So in our hospitality industry, I think there's no harm in us having a toolkit of PDF, you know, downloadables um, or website links or, you know, different ways to gather a whole bunch of resources that then we can eventually share if and when we need them. Yeah, absolutely. I went ahead and pulled up the website, so I'll make sure to include it in the, in the um, bio of this episode so that people can can go to it and, um, and, you know, find the, find the tools that they need. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing that information. And I think that we, um, should wrap it up today with, um, just like one little question and feel free to dig in as much or as little as you want. Um, but what, what do you hope to see for the future of F and B? And what are, what are like maybe the one or two things that you're fearful will not happen? Oof, big question. That's kind of, <laughs> it's a big question, but we can, we can um, maybe like kind of bullet point it out. Um, yeah. And yeah, maybe absolutely. there'll be a part two, part two of our episode. <laughs> okay, so the first one is a quote I use a lot and I'm just gonna read it out because it really sums up what my hope is. Um, what my vision is, you know, where I start to see us moving in this direction is, this is my quote, there is so much emphasis on the sustainability and ethical treatment of the ingredients that we use in our menus. I'm trying to push us to have the same focus on the sustainability and ethical treatment of the people producing, growing, serving, creating, and cooking everything we consume. Um, and so, 
Thank you. And so for me, it really comes down to remembering that people are the biggest asset of the hospitality industry. And yeah. just really remembering that we're, you know, labor is not a problematic line item in your budget. People are assets. You need to invest into your assets. You do not deplete your assets. It, there is an ROI to workplace mental health and we need to start continue, start and continue to move, you know, the dial in that direction. Um, the second part of your question was the fear. So I think that, you know, I feel a lot of hope because I do see things going in that direction. Um, but my hope is always side by side with my fear. I think that the work that I do with nine to five, I think the work that a lot of us in this generation, like focus on health and, and, you know, so many other incredible organizations like healthy poor and all of us that are trying to really highlight these concerns. Um, I really see our generation as planting as like preparing the soil and planting seeds. And, you know, my hope is that over time we, you know, can, can pass on, on to the next generation of like watering. Um, I don't, I don't know that I will reap the harvest in my lifetime, you know, of seeing all these changes come to life, um, to seeing a hospitality environment that isn't oppressive, to seeing workplaces in food service that aren't causing harm on a regular basis to their team. Um, I, I do fear that these changes are going to take longer than we think they are. And I'm okay with that. I've made peace with that a long time ago because I understand <laughs> the change cycle and I understand how complicated humans are. Um, and I think that as much as we hope for change in this generation, I, I do fear that I won't get to see that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's something I think about a lot. So. Oh, good. Well, it's not just me. <laughs> no, it's not just you. No, it's not just you. Um, well, so thank you so much for spending this, um, about hour that we got to chat together with me this morning and, um, and, and I, I didn't even mention that like, this is the first episode of five episodes for women's history month. I probably could have mentioned that at the very beginning of this episode. Um, but you know, I'm so honored to get to know you as an incredible, um, woman in our field. And, um, for anybody who's listening to this episode, we're putting out the panel with you and four other incredible women um, owners in our industry. Um, it's coming out Monday the 1st. It's live, but it'll be recorded. Um, so for anybody listening to this, if you didn't catch the podcast, which I'm talking about, will be happening in the future. But by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be in the past. Um, it will be available. I'm certain of it on the FOH website. So um, thank you for, for joining me for Women's History Month and for being an amazing person and um, for everything that you do for our industry. I am so humbled and honored. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. Awesome. Have a great day and a great weekend. Okay. Thanks. You too. Bye. To ensure that you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Focus on Health podcast on Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else you get podcasts. Make sure to tune in every Monday for new episodes and don't miss Snowproof with Joshua Gandy every other Wednesday.